Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. What's up, dude? Good to see you. How you doing, buddy? All right? I'm all right. Let's just do a quick little level check here. Yeah, one, so two, one, two. I was last night uh, DJing for Andy Taylor. Do you know Andy Taylor? Is there for a connection there from Duran Duran Power? Yeah. Power Machine, all of that? Aye, yeah? aye, aye, aye. What, uh, what's the connection station. there with you guys? Yeah. That's a connection, but it might be with Jules, probably my older... My right. Jules, my brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... But uh, why, why do you ask that? I was just reading that there was like a connection between him and Gunn. I thought maybe he'd produce one of your records or something, because I know he did a couple of the Almighty albums, but maybe I my information if, no, is no, incorrect. No, 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 he was involved in something or other. I can't quite put my finger <laughs> on it. You know? We'll never know then. Do you know what? I think it might have been a mix. I think he might have done a mix of one of the songs. Right. There like you go. The day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably from the Taking on the World. I'm sure he did a mix or something. God, I need to check that up, but it's been so long. It's been so years. long, and there's been so many, you know, albums and tours. And so didn't you just do um, that album that you just mentioned there in its entirety, along with Dan Reed and FM? No, we're about to do that. That's about to happen. Yeah, that's about to happen in December. Um, starts off in Bristol, I think, on the eighth. How's how sales for that going? They're looking yeah, good. Yeah, I think I think it's looking great. Yeah, I mean, the Barlands. We finish up in the Barlands. Amazing. On the twenty first, the Saturday, twenty first. So that's the last show, and it's. It's like that's an incredible venue to play, you know. Um, I've never played it. I've played the O2, and I've done the Cat House, but yeah. I've never. I mean, just from the outside, it has this I, I, iconic classic I look. Doesn't I know it? it's quite deceiving actually, because a lot of people think, "What's in there?" And, and then you get inside, and, and it's just this majestic. Inside, it's just yeah, it's just got one of the oldest venues in Glasgow, is probably. it? Probably, yeah, yeah. Well, the one that still remain, yeah, still standing. Yeah. Whereabouts in Glasgow did you grow up? Right there, right next to the Barlands. Right That's, there? Yeah, yeah, at the East End. Right, right. In between the Barlands and Celtic Park. That's where I was sort of brought up. And that's and where I was born, actually. Really? Yeah, because there was a hospital there, um, Duke Street Hospital, which is the longest street in the UK. Is it really? There you go. There may be, it may have just changed recently, though. There was one in Aberdeen, I think. It's just changed, but it's probably one of the longest. Um, yeah, I was born in Duke Street Hospital, which then became psychiatric unit for um, the criminally insane. Act to the criminally insane as well, <laughs> not n- not just the insane, <laughs> but the criminally insane. Um, but yeah, that's where I was kind of brought up. 
And it was you, your brother. Have you got any other siblings? Yeah, I've got um, brother Mario and my sister Carmen. I'm the baby. Right. And Jules was in the band. Of course, yeah. He's the oldest. So the other two are in between. And did you grow up with a kind of a Catholic presence in the household? Oh, very much yeah. so. Yeah. Obviously with Scotland and Italy combined. Yeah, yeah. It's chapel every Sunday. Right. And uh, did you did you enjoy that part of your childhood? Was it um, something you got on with? No, I mean Jules himself. He was an altar boy. He was an altar boy, but then he got um, he got thrown out because um, one sort of like Christmas Christmas Eve, he was uh, he was holding the um, the candles, um, and and he, I think it was like, it was midnight mass. That's what it was. It was midnight mass and he was falling asleep and he kind of singed the, the other older boy in front of him. He's Brilliant. Like, his hair went in fire. <laughs> <laughs> so the priest was like, yeah, and don't go back. Oh, I couldn't help it. I fell asleep. <laughs> when but, you're um, young, you get tired. Don't yeah. you? That's late for a young lad to be up. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. But I know. So your, your parents were kind of heavily yeah, into yeah, it, they, were they? They were, I mean, like not heavily into it. Um, but, but yeah, we kind of always sort of practiced it, you know, yeah. um, and yeah, growing up, you kind of, you were in that sort of, you, you know, in that environment and you just, you know, you took it and, and went with it, you know. Was rock and roll accepted in the household? Oh, was it allowed, encouraged yeah. even? Yeah. Oh, very much yeah. so. I mean. Were your folks into music? You know, Did they have a lot of records? They, they had their favorites, you know, like it, you know, I always remember that, you know, the weekends and stuff like that. And you, my dad, my mum and dad just like, have the radio on and they'd be listening to the, all these sort of old stations. But my, my mum was a massive Frank Sinatra fan. She, that's who she absolutely loved. Right. I loved his voice. And then my dad, he was a bit different. He, he loved a lot of sort of, uh, what do you call it? He, he loved Tina Turner. He, there was a lot of sort of black artists that he absolutely loved. Well, he's a disco Fats boy, wasn't he? He loved Fats Domino. He was a big, big Fats Domino fan. And you used to hear that, you know, like at the weekends and, you know, like Saturday mornings and it'd just be blaring. It'd be I waking found me up. my freedom. Uh, that's right. <laughs> oh, Blueberry, Blueberry Hill. Hill. Amazing. No. Amazing catalogue. So you would hear all that sort of stuff coming. And I just like, I think that's what kind of, I always kind of put that down to me getting involved in music. Right at the beginning, you know, it was always there. It's always there. It was always a, like a musical. Fact. My uncle, who's blind, used to play the court Well, um, we've actually got a video foot, some video footage of him actually playing recently. But he's kind of all over the place now. He's eighty six. His hearing's definitely gone. Was he born yeah. blind? Uh, no, he he became blind at the age of fourteen, fifteen. Right. So he did. Um, yeah, what, think, was it like an accident or just a health no, thing in him that switched? Just a thing, yeah, yeah, Matt. Um, it was just like I can, you know, I don't, I don't really normally talk to him about it, but you know, he he does say like, you know, when he was in class, the teacher had actually asked him to say a word. It was on the blackboard, and then he couldn't, um, he couldn't read it from a distance. And the teacher told him, "Well, come up a wee bit closer, closer and closer," and then he kind of couldn't see it at all. It was like. No, I can't see anything here. And that's what he felt. That was the change in, you know, in, in his sight. It was what a heavy thing to deal with at that oh, age. Oh, I mean, incredible. Especially having, having sight. That must be the most difficult yeah. thing, you know. But, um, Thanks, Ray. Oh, lovely. Thanks. Drinks and snacks. Thanks very much. I appreciate that. That will wake me up. Cheers. <laughs> I don't do coffee. It sends me into jittery hyper overdrive. But a nice fresh can of orange pop will do the job. So did he then, like, was he but, in the household with you guys? Yeah. yeah he, See, my dad, yeah. Um, God, my dad had, like, six other siblings, you know. But we were the family, out of all those brothers and sisters, we were the family that had more more children, you know. And we always kind of thought, oh, this is a bit weird that my dad is taking care of Monko and yet he's having to look after four of us as kids, you know. Whereas... His brothers and sisters only like had two, you know, two children each, you know. But I think the real reason was because uh, Monko absolutely loved my dad and they were very, very close, you know. And he sort of wanted to look after him. So there was actually instead of six of us, seven of us in the house in a one bedroom house. 
One bed, wow. One bedroom house, yeah. And And was he... But listen, those were, you know, I've got terrible memories. Oh, no doubt. Well, that's that thing, I think, with with that kind of a living situation is it's all you know, first Mm -hmm. of all. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you go, oh, no, we're poor. Yeah. And then also there's a lot of community spirit, not just within the household, but within the the neighborhoods, right? And it all... Yeah. Kind yeah, of feeds totally. into this closely, beautiful, it's, uh, yeah, it's closely met and melting it's like part of characters. Never, and ever once did I think, you know, that this I felt like, you know, this house is like too small for us or anything like that. You know, it was like you just kind of got on with it, and that was just like every day, and it was just like I didn't know. I, I had some of the happiest memories were from that house, you know, and um, and I think it was like in the it was like early 80s, um, we got sort of, my mum managed to get a council house, four bedrooms, or five bedrooms, I think it was, four, I think four, and and that was like around about Christmas time, I remember saying to me, look, we're not, won't be able to afford like any Christmas presents this year, but we've got the house, and like, and you should have seen us going into that house. It was like, oh, this is incredible. A palace. Yeah. <laughs> like We've my, arrived. You know? Yeah, yeah. Just like everybody's got, well, we obviously sharing rooms, but, you know, but it was just like, wow, this is unbelievable, incredible. And that was like, you know, like a big sort of Christmas present. You yeah, know? no doubt, man. Instead, Well, in saying that, she did actually get me the Millennium Falcon as well. Just what a year, uh, what a, a year to remember. <laughs> I never had older siblings, so I never had anybody kind of switching me on to the music that would become my own, as it were. Yeah. Obviously, you've got your parents. Was your older brother turning you on to, to well, rock Jules, and roll? Yeah, yeah, Jules and my sister yeah. as well, Carmen. Um, they would have a lot of vinyl stuff that would be lying around. And, and I think that's why I kind of, I think musically I've... Um, quite diverse in what I listen to, you know, it's, uh, I can listen to anything pretty much, and I think that's probably came from growing up, you know, where, where Jules would have like a Black Sabbath album, an ACDC album, Carmen would have like the ABBA Super Trooper album, or, or you know. A lot. There's an exhibition on it, the O2, have you seen that? No. Yeah, no. there's an ABBA Super Trooper exhibition. Seriously? Yeah, at wow. the O2, I think God. it starts like the 4th or 5th of December. Seriously, oh, I'll be doing this and I could have at that time anyway. There you go. Because, yeah, I've definitely gone to that. But, yeah, I, I mean, um, I, I loved all, all sorts of different genres and styles of music and appreciated it all, you know. And that, I think that's, you know, we'll listen from, from, from my dad's era listening to, you know, Fats Domino, Mum, Frank Sinatra and stuff like that. I guess and you learn an appreciation Jules, for yeah. classic songwriting, yeah. don't you? Uh, just well, it's quality about, is the only genre for me, that matters. Matt, it's all about the songs. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's all about the songs. And, you know, that's so important for me. Well, that's always been there with Gun, I think, hasn't it? Is yeah. the songs first and foremost. Yeah. Because they, they tend Good, to... hooky, they, yeah, they, catchy tunes. I think, I think they, they tend to stand a wee bit longer and, you know, the, in time. You know, it doesn't, you, you don't get bored with it, you know, and it's like, if you've got a really cool melody or, a, a you know, a great chorus melody and stuff like that, and I think that's, for me, that's so important. That is so important, rather than having, like, a vibe of a song or, like, a great riff that runs through a song. Or Well, Smoke know. on the Water is a great example of a very boring song. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, it doesn't yeah, really get but, talked about a lot. The riff is obviously iconic, yeah, yeah. but the song is kind of a bit dull and a bit yeah, bloated and yeah. a bit drawn out because it is just, uh, 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 and that's kind of the whole crux of the, uh, the I think. Anyway. Yeah, no, no, it's yeah. so true. I mean, listen, don't get me wrong. That I mean, there's riffs that can actually make us. They make a song. Yeah, you know, like we just mentioned there. Um, I'm trying to think. Lenny Kravitz one. That, um, Are you going to go my way? Although that is a rip off of an old. Um, I just noticed that, that a couple of weeks ago, actually, and it was another album I used to listen to that Jules had, which was the the Long Live Rock and Roll album by Rainbow. Is it Rainbow? Aye, Rainbow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Long live. But there's a there's a track on it. It starts and it's got this atmospheric section at the beginning, and then it goes into the the actual. Are you going to go my way, Riff? I'm like. 
Ah, there you go. That's clever. Well, Weller, Weller did that, didn't he, with Taxman from the Beatles? Boom, 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 boom. What you aye. give is what you aye, get. Aye, aye. It's uh, f- I think music history is full of that. that. I don't mind that. I think that's exactly where your influence on your it's sleeve. Not all big and, team, of yeah. course, of course it is. Who was the big influence on Gun? Say with that first record when you're just starting out. What oh, were you guys all listening to at well, that time? I mean, I didn't have much say in the in the writing side of that right. because I was only sixteen. At yeah, the yeah, yeah. And I came straight out of school. Uh, straight out of school, missed. I went. What, what did I do again? I went to work in Fadzi Brothers, which was an Italian delicatessen. I missed some of my O levels because of was uh, Italian music around. What do you mean, like in, in the, the household? In the house, yeah, yeah. I couldn't remember the names of them, but the, it yeah, was the, the old school Italian yeah, singers, the crooners. The mum, I, yeah, the, yeah. The, my mum used to listen to. Yeah, definitely. Um, and if my gran was around or my, my nonna would be around, she would be like, "I'll oh, get some of the music." I'm like. And they're singing in Italian, I presume, as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a guy called Gianni Mirandi. That's right. He was like a famous sort of old crooner, like really handsome looking dude. But other dude, I, I actually, we actually got to play football against him. Really? Yeah. And For, or like, what was the occasion? It was a, some charity gig. Right, right. A charity football match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was at Stanford Bridge. And, um, and I remember telling my mum, and this I'm going back, right? This is nineties. It's got to be the nineties. And and I think it was like an Italian sort of football team made up of stars, you know, like. And it was a Stanford Bridge, but Chelsea hadn't just, you know, this was before Roman Abramovich. And um, my mum's like, "Oh wow, you meet Jenny Miranda and got a picture taken with." And she's like, I can't believe you're swooning. Yeah. <laughs> and then apparently he gave me, well, his manager was there and stuff like that. And after the game, Jules and I were getting into trouble because we just like kicked him off the park, you know. But he was given as good as he got, you know what I mean? So we just like, you know, <laughs> followed through as well, you know. But, um, but it was quite fun. It was, it was a lot of good fun. Um but yeah, so you're working in this delicatessen, yeah, fresh out of school. Delicate, the I, band's already been around, what, a year or so? They've been going just at this signed, point? Just yeah, right. I've just signed to A&M Records. And was uh, that just off the back of their live shows? What was yeah, the interest there? Management, it was a, it was a yeah, there was, there was a live shows and there was also, it was, a, it was GNR management, Jerry and Rab, who kind of were looking for a band that, um, were a rock a rock band other than the bands that had been that they had just signed. So basically they wanted a rock band, a pop band and some sort of like indie sort of pop band. This is like back in the late eighties. So there was Gun. There was a band called Slide. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Slide. Slide, yeah. No. They didn't really do much. They didn't you know, they had a they had an album out and and I think it just kind of fell apart. And then there was Texas. So it was a three band that was in the you know, in the stables, you know, of under GNR management. And it was partly do, down to, you know, seeing the band um, performing live. But I think, in it, you know, they could mould, you know, like a rock band in those days. And I think... Jules, yeah, there was the Jules, infrastructure wasn't there to yeah, develop. Was, and Jules and, and Mark at the time, the, the, the original singer, they were like, you know, they were hungry to... To experiment and hungry to get a deal because they'd been, they'd been well, Joe's especially had been slogging it for years. Yeah, they wanted to get a bit of money in their yeah, pocket, from right? Like the, you know, God, I remember Joe's just going down with like a fine fair trolley with a cabinet and it, going down to rehearsals in the snow and stuff like that. Yeah, I remember all these sort of things. How, you know, and my mum just like, oh, why don't you just get a proper look at your cousins, look at this, and get a proper job, and like. And he'd be like, no, this is what I want to do. So I get lucky because the band gets signed and the bass player decides to leave. Why? Why would you? <laughs> the minute there's a deal on the table, I've, I'm out. Do you know what? <laughs> it's not what I want. <laughs> do you know what, man? I swear to God, I've asked him a million times. I still see him. It's yeah. Cammy. He's a lovely guy. So why, why would you not? He goes, oh, I didn't know what I did. I just didn't want. I guess that, that like, life just isn't mean? for some people, is it? The yeah. touring and the... I don't know. <clears throat> I think he thought it was kind of gut wrenching, you know, like, 
he couldn't deal with the stress of it all, I think. And I think deep down his worries were like going into the studio to record. Um and I think he would have I think he would have found it quite difficult, especially with Jules, you know, doing your neck, like getting you to play the Is he a formidable dude, is he? Ah, uh, Jules I can be sometimes. Yeah. Well, in those days I but it's yeah. It's reverse now, you know, it's me telling him what to do. I love it. <laughs> but, um, but I was only 16. And were so you playing an instrument? Like yeah, we, I was playing guitar. A... I never played bass in my life. Right. I never played. But you were proficient, you felt. Oh, I, I, well, no, I didn't want to. No, I, like, I remember sitting in the stairs of this house, of our, like our new house, mm-hmm. and, and and he gives me acoustic guitar. He goes, like, can you play this in, you know, in the acoustic? And I went, uh, and it was, and it was the bass riff of Girls in Love, which is off taking on the world album. And I went, yeah, yeah, I can play it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, can you play this other one? And he tells me another song. And, he's like, and I play it. And he's like, oh, yeah, okay. I'm like, why are you showing me these songs? He goes, well, because, like, you know, Cammy's left. And I goes, oh, I know that. And he goes, well, we're looking for a bass player. And we're thinking about you. And I'm like, Me? <laughs> No, I can't do that. No chance. No, I'm not doing that. I don't have the ball to do that. No, and like, and I swear to God, I was. That's how I was like. You know, I was like really. And then I kind of thought about it. I'm like, maybe I could. Maybe I could do it in the studio. I feel comfortable, but I wouldn't be able to do it live. I don't think I could perform in front of people live. I'd be too nervous. You know. And there's no second takes, is there, live? No, exactly. Yeah, it's just like. I was completely shitting myself. I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. And it came to the point where the managers came up to the um, to the house to ask my mum, look, Dante is going to be, you know, we want to, you know, nurture him and, and you know, we'll, we'll show him the ropes and stuff like that. The, the band have got an album coming out. He doesn't have to play bass guitar on the album. We're not expected to play bass guitar on the album. But he's going to walk straight into a job where he's going to be paid you know, a weekly set of 70 quid, I think it was, a week. A 16-year-old. <coughs> Back in 1989, that's, that was no bad. solid wage. Yeah, that's like three, 400 quid, yeah. you know, in present day. But, um, but yeah, that was like, and then it's like my mum was like, right, you should definitely do it. You should definitely do it. You're going to get to see the world. You're going to do this and do that. And it's like, okay, then, here goes. So I would work in Fadzi Brothers, like from, like, Eight in the morning till five o'clock at night, and then after that, I go straight to rehearsals. And that happened for like a few months to do that because we were preparing me for um, it was uh, what do you call it? We were doing showcases, yeah, for for different all for over public. the UK yeah. or just Glasgow? No, no, it was just in Glasgow. We had reg- not record labels, but because we were already signed, but it was publishing companies and stuff like that that were really interested in seeing the band. I was just like, God, dead nervous, you know. But I worked my ass off for it, you know, and and I put in the hours, and I, and and then I did my first gig, my very first gig, and and it was like just the way it is now. Like first two or three songs, you're kind of butterflies in your tummy, and you're just nervous. finding your feet, and, and then just like it clicks, and you're just like right there. I'm not coming off this stage. Yeah, yeah, you know. It's funny like that, isn't it? Because the adrenaline's just so high, it's such a blur. And then, as you say, the minute you get off, you just want to get straight back on and do it again. But it's like, it's it's over. (laughs) It's the high, Matt, you get after the gig as well. And it's like, God, it just takes forever to come down, especially if it's a cracking gig, you know, or even those gigs where you, you know, you've just got like a neutral sort of audience that aren't kind of totally receptive that you know that may have not heard of you before maybe like in a festival situation and by the end of it you you've won them over yeah you know that's a lovely feeling it's a great feeling you know i know good what was the first song off that first album which took off for you better days was that mm-hmm. the one that became the mm-hmm. the launch single better as days. it were yeah yeah better days was like that was funny though because it didn't sound I remember being in the studio and we're like recording it and and I thought to myself, this is the kind of, it was just kind of a basic sort of beat. And you're talking about like, what, you know, what sort of music 
were you inspired with at the time? What was like Prince? We just loved the Prince. I think the Parade album was just out at that time. And there was a song off it called Mountains. Um, and we kind of, we nicked, not the music of it, but the, the, the way the drums kind of, they were like doing sort of delayed sort of drum beats. It's like that. That's how Mountains sounds like. And I was like, um, and Kenny, the producer, goes, ah, oh, we should try and recreate this. We should try and recreate that for, for better days, you know, because it'll make it, you know, a lot smoother. It'll just like, especially if you're, you're doing 16s in the bass, you know, it's just it'll sound, it'll sound a lot groovier, yeah. you know, and a wee bit different. We've still got the hard edge of the song. The melody's quite hard, you know, but, um, and the guitars will be, you know, toughened. I think we should really go with this sort of groove. And we're like, okay, how long is that going to take to do that? Because in those days, I remember in like 1989, it was like, oh, sort of tape. Yeah, of course. Know, it was like analog. Tapes. That took forever. Not a garage band then. <laughs> that, took that took forever to do delayed drums like that, you know? So we went away, for, Jules and I went away upstairs for a couple of hours, just waiting, waiting, waiting. And then... Came that Kenny comes running upstairs like, oh, you need to hear this. Have a listen to this. See what you think. And honest to God, he sat down. He played. It was just the backing track. It wasn't the vocals or anything. It was just the backing track. And it, on it, in my, you know, that way, the hairs in your arms just stand an end as soon as you hear it back. I thought, you knew oh, you had something special right is, away. This is something. This is something really. Spe- if we get the melody right here, the vocal right on it, this is going to be huge. This will be. This is a bit different. And it's how, you know, it was a bit different from what other rock bands were doing at the time, you know. And, and I think that was what part of the reason that was our manager was kind of instilling in is trying not, you know, you've got, you've got the background of listening to bands like Zeppelin, ACDC, Bowie, or, you know, and Black Sabbath and Rainbow and all these sort of rock. You've got that, you've got that. But listen to something that's a wee bit different and something that's more current that will maybe open up other doors for you rather than just sticking to that genre of music because you don't want to just sound like another cliche of those bands and um is that something that stayed with and that's something that's your songwriting approach with, yeah totally. ever since but then as i said to you matt for me that i welcomed that with open arms because i was listening to stuff as i said as diverse from abba to acdc when i was a kid yeah so that kind of welcomed that sort of vibe you know but um how far up the single charts did that song climb? Oh, that, you know what? It was, um, and considering it was still perceived as a big hit and it went to 32 or 33. But I guess but, in those days, know, singles you know, sold that much more, didn't do they? Do you know what I think? Yeah, I think from... Like to get a top 40 now, you sold a couple of thousand I records, didn't I don't know if it, it did that. It kind of started, started at 60 and it went to 42 and then it went to 33. That's how, that's how songs kind of went into the charts yeah. in those days. Especially yeah. from a brand new, for the and then 33 all intents and purposes, unheard band. Maybe it was 38, the third, fourth. So it kind of just, it was a, a good, and Radio 1 was just like totally all over it, you know, and it was like, this was all new to us. I mean, we didn't expect anything like, I mean, I, I'm saying with like bad days, I thought I didn't expect it to get that sort of, you knew it was special, but knew it was special, but you, you just didn't know it was going to get you in. First album, man, you don't you in the door. Anything, yeah, any sort of comparison at all. Comparison to it, you know, you have the ambition, but it was um, that was amazing. And then because of that, that kind of took off in Europe, and one of the places was like Spain was huge for us, you know, which was like bizarre. I don't know how that. Well, I do know how that happened. There was a woman that was working for the label. And who believed in the band as much as we believed in it, and as much as their label in the UK believed in it, and they like, and she made she goes. I remember her meeting up with her because we did this whole tour of Europe, where it was just like promo tour. So you're just and doing interviews, you're not playing shows. I'm not doing interviews, maybe a couple of acoustic things. Yeah, yeah, like, that, like in stores or something. But, yeah. Uh, or radio. And you'd hear the same stuff from all the different territories. It's like, ah, oh, well, you know, we'll see what we can do. We'll see what we can do. And then we eventually get to Spain, and this amazing woman, Lydia, and she was like, ah, oh, no, I'll tell you. And we're like that too. 
leading up, please save your breath, because we've heard this from the la- all the other regions, mm-hmm. you know, like Denmark, Holland, they say, they say the same stuff. She goes, I guarantee you, the next time you play here, you come to Spain, you will be plenty of 2,000 people. <laughs> and then Jules and I, well, that's in ourselves. And sure enough, and sure enough sure it enough, came it true. But don't get me wrong, it was a lot of hard work up until that Of course, point, laying the foundations. It was like, you know, it was shitloads of radio stuff that we did, TV stuff, you know. And it really, she really worked on us often. And bless her, you know, that's what kind of helped us with um, with that sort of tour, with, with, you know, that country. Spain was brilliant. Port- and then in turn, Portugal was amazing as well. That kind of followed suit. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You don't really associate, because I've been to those countries a lot, and nowadays anyway, Italy... Portugal, Spain, you don't see a lot of gigs advertised for rock bands in those countries. Yeah. Germany, France, yeah. yeah. Scandinavia, yeah. But with those three, mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't seem to be as, I no, don't know. it's probably not. Infiltrated, yeah. if yeah. you will, by American no. and British see, guitar what, music and see, pop. That's, and, that's what I love about, like, when you do shows in Spain and Portugal and stuff like that, tickets can be quite expensive. And it's funny because I always kind of look at it as when when somebody goes to a show in Spain or, you know, comes to a show in Madrid or Barcelona, the tickets are expensive. So they spend money in the ticket and they go there to enjoy themselves. So they're in it, in the moment. Yeah, they go there to enjoy. I mean, the, the, and Madrid, I haven't, it's Madrid and Glasgow is like on a par with each other. Really? Yeah. What, just for kind of just for rabid the, the reaction? Vibe, the atmosphere and the vibe. And, and then you've got like a total foreign language, people singing every song. Yeah. You know, that's just bizarre, you know. But that's what I'm saying. People, I've spent, you know, whatever, 30 euro to go and see a band. I'm going to go and enjoy myself. Whereas I think in the UK it can be kind of, you know, like, I've spent, I'm here. I, I'm but, spent you know, quid, yeah. so impress me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing, you know? Arms folded. I want to, you know, be impressed. I've spent very quid. Yeah. So it's a different way of thinking, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I love, I love Spain. I love touring Spain. I love, you know, going to Portugal and stuff like that as well. And Germany was a really big market for the band as well. And that came later on with like the Swagger album. Yeah. And word up. Word up. And that's another, you know, you're pulling from R&B again. Yeah. Well, that was... that one. Was that always on the cards or was how did that... that Did you need to just fill the albums like track listing up? This 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 had came off of... This was a B-side. Okay. It was a B-side off the Gallus. Which you just recorded for a bit of fun. Off the Gallus album. We did... um, I can't remember the last single off the Gallus album was... But anyway, the record came. I'm like, oh, he's trying to do another cover for the B side. I'm like, 
right, okay then. Well, we'd been jamming this one live. I think we'd been playing it live, actually, Word Up. We thought, well, we'll just do Word Up. We record that, and we went in with Chris Sheldon, to, and he produced it, and we just had a laugh doing it, and it was great fun. And then, sort of, right, there's a B-side, and the record company heard it, and they went, no, that's not a B-side. That's a single, we're keeping that for the next album. I thought, what? No, that's, that is killer. What a, what a cover version that is. It is fucking great. No, well, that's Because Korn had a go at it as well. And yeah. I think yours is easily the no. superior well, of those two. It's MTV maybe even better than the original, <laughs> dare I well, say. You know it. What? This is a funny thing, Matt. There's some kids out there that I've bumped into and they're like, ah, is, is it not your song? Yeah. And they're like, what? Your song? No, it's Cameo. Who's Cameo? Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. Oh, you're taking the piss. Come on. And I swear to God, that's, I don't know how many times that's actually happened to me, you know, with people saying that, but it's, that's hilarious. And what was the MTV award you won? Best cover? Best cover Best version. Cover, yeah. It was us, I can remember, well, there's three, it was Ace of Base, well, I, I don't know. Uh, Rescue Me? Is that what they did? No, um, who else was it? Wait, wait, wait. Right. Yeah. Love is all around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they should have got it. Because well, that, were, that was the song that was at number one for like half a year, wasn't it? <laughs> I <laughs> I feel it just over and over I again. Feel <laughs> drugs, I, that. So you beat them. Aye. I have I, a bit I, of that. I can't even remember it that way. Like, it, what, who else was at the award ceremony? Any, any heroes and stars oh. of yours? You two are in front of us. Just sat right there. So yeah. sat in front of us. Sting. Right. Prince is on stage Prince. performing. Um, who's my idol? Yeah, you know, what Prince's, a night! Uh, um, Did you speak to him? Did you say Steve hello? Tyler was there? No, no, I didn't go up to Prince. I didn't. I didn't. Somebody asked me that recently. Is he somebody why did who's you, why did surrounded you know? by a bit of an entourage? Is he a bit no, of an unapproachable? Had, was he a bit of an unapproachable? He was my idol, and I was so so scared if he came across as somebody that wasn't that nice. Then I would fall out of love you know yeah that makes sense. music you know i so i just thought no i'll just keep him in awe of that i just like i want to just be like worship him the way i yeah yeah i've got in my head you know rather than bring it back to the earth by him well he's almost like, superhuman yeah. wasn't he he was, he was incredible alive. incredible but but Steve Tyler went straight up. <laughs> he was there. And he Jules seems like, like he's, although Jules he's is, a massive rock star, like, a lot more approachable. Aye. Jules is like, I'm going to go and get that autograph. Get an autograph. And it was for, her, I think it was for nephew or, from, or somebody. I'm like, I need bother. <laughs> I went right up to Steve Tyler. He was nice. But I had been drinking from like, oh God, nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> because I at that point, I hated flying. I was a, I didn't like flying in planes. Right. So that would be how you get too over Too many it. bad experiences flying. And um, and so I just, we were got, we flew club class and British Airways and it's like, and I remember the stewardess, God, she's like, surely not club class. And I'm like, yes. And then that, that see the re-steward button, that stewardess button, that kept getting pressed, you know, the waitress button. I kept getting pressed. More champagne, please. More champagne. So anyway, when I got there, I just continued to drink throughout the night. So it was a bit of a blur winning the award. And I remember actually turning out being a bit gassed. And Ace of Base were behind me because obviously they were nominated for the same award. And I'm like, oh, uh, so, sorry, sorry, sorry for you guys. I'm really sorry. And I was being genuine. And, and I think they were like, because they're Swedish, I think, Ace of Base. Yeah. And they were like... They just lost in translation. Like off. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because we picked up the award, but that um, that night, God, and I that was another incident. Me and Ian Asprey pissing in the pavement in Brandenburg Gate, just at Brandenburg Gate. That was hilarious as well. Too is wrecked. Well, I was wrecked. I don't know about him. He was just following suit. <laughs> he was following me. That <laughs> well, was funny. Um, because we'd been touring with, well, we didn't tour, we'd bumped into them in festivals and stuff like that. And Ian Asprey's always like, you know, oh, you're just going to play Glasgow, aren't you? I lived in Glasgow. And Is he a good dude? Aye, a brilliant, yeah. brilliant dude. Aye. I mean, he's, you know, he's lo- he'd lost his way, you know, but I think he's back in track now. But 
no, I was in the time of, in those days it was just mental, but it was a good laugh. It was really good fun. How was the Stones tour? <sighs> that was just surreal. Which which cycle were they on? What do you mean? Like oh, album. Nineteen, uh, Urban Jungle tour. Okay. So what was the stage show like? What was the, the design? Okay. Uh, it was, is it crazy? You know Not like the way it is now when you see it now, but it was, it, was the, it was the inflatables. That was their thing. It was the massive inflatables, you know, the... But it was good fun. That that lesson that I probably didn't appreciate it as much as I should have at the time, because I was only like eighteen or nineteen, you know, and I was like, Aye. but I remember, I remember we were in the middle of this shithole tour, in in America. Oh my god, it was the worst ever. You know, your own headline tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, don't get me wrong. Certain shows were busy. You know, like if you went to the big cities and stuff like that. We played the Troubadour in LA. Yeah, yeah. And because we had to cut the tour short, because that's when we got the call from Jagger. So right. And you were like, yeah, get us off this tour and we'll jump on with the Stones. Jagger had sent a fax through your manager. Manager sent it through your tour manager. I was sharing a name with him. And I think we were, uh, we were in Texas, somewhere in Texas. And he goes, I think you have just been offered the Stones tour. I'm like, what? Because we had heard rumours, but there was like 60 or 70 other bands that were getting touted for it. You know, and remembering the previous bands that toured with like Prince and all that sort of stuff, it was like, God, that would have been, this would be incredible if we get this. But we did, we got it. And it was Jagger, it was down to Jagger. He was the one that picked us. What song had he, had he heard, did he tell you? That, oh, I don't know, he must have heard the on. album, but apparently that's what they do, they kind of, well, he did at the time, he kind of checked out all the video footage, all the songs and stuff like that. And, and handpicked them himself. Aye. And then I did, you know, I mean, I see this story so many times, but for all those people listening to Matt's podcast, but, you know, they haven't heard this story, but, you know, I remember going up to him. We were in, we were in a club in Berlin, and I went up to him and I was like, out all the... All the bands, mate. Why, why did you pick us? Because that you reminded me of us when we first started out. And I thought, wow, that's amazing, man. Because oh. <laughs> we were really hungry. We, they, sent, they sent facts to all these different bands. Faxes to other, you know. Um, and they asked us what we, what we needed for the tour. And other bands must have been sending stuff like, you know, we need that such and such a rider. We need this amount of stage sound you know, cabinets, etc. We just sent a we just sent a fax back this massive rain. We'll take whatever you can give us. Really? I love um, it. Alright, that's I must that, have saw that and I must have done that. That's it. That's a band. <laughs> you know, that was it that that was you know that was just incredible. I imagine that elevates your game as a performer and as a live unit. Yeah. Oh totally. well big time. We'd because of that tour getting cut short, we had to. It was like in Tribador, it was meant to be two nights. It was one for the fans and one for all the record company and press and stuff like that. It was like a showcase one. So we had to cut, we had to like um, cancel a night and make one a mat matinee for <laughs> an evening sort of thing, you know, um, so that we could get back to, Ro I think Rotterdam was the open, um, Rotterdam Stadium. Was that a High pressure, a big time, tense moment. That first show, you're jet lagged, <laughs> buggery. You know, yeah. it's like terrified. Oh my god! Oh, yeah, you're shattered. You're like from plenty like three, four hundred capacities straight in to plenty fifty, sixty thousand people, and it's like, what? This is surreal. How many how many seats were like on bums when you guys went on oh, stage? It was, it was full. I, I, it was full. Yeah, pretty much. I yeah. And I was like, this is unbelievable. I don't know if we had played Wembley Stadium previous to that. I think we might have done with with the uh, Simple Minds. Because we did do that a couple of times. But we did three we did three times the you know, the old Wembley Stadium with the Stones. Once with Simple Minds. I don't know if that was previous. So that was like my first big sort of show yeah. that to, to play in front of. 
But um, it wasn't the biggest, though. That was a funny thing. The biggest one that we played to was in Valencia, which was like quarter of a million, without a lie, quarter of a million people. It was a free concert, and it was to mark the start of the summer. And it was a huge stretch of motorway. It was just massive, as far as the eye could see. Um, as far as the eye could see. But um, and we went on at like one in the morning. Wow, everyone's I, just cooked, are they? Oh my God, <laughs> it was unbelievable, man. I was just like, this is incredible. And it was like their their version of like Radio 1. It was like um, Quarenta Principalis. That's what the name of the radio station is. It's a huge, big station, but um, that was unreal. Just a sea of heads. It's like... Yeah, you board. can't even visualise no, that. It's just, it's just, but you end up, I don't even know. Even 50,000, you struggle you know to wrap what? your head around I, that, I felt, but five times I that. I felt comforting in some way that it's like, just treat it as like just a sea of people. Yeah. Because, you know, for a fact that nobody's going to be able to hear you all the way back. It was unbelievable. What a feeling that was. That was incredible. What's the? Is that the best tour you'd say you'd you'd done up until that point? Oh, what, what was the Stones, what and then the and then what came after? Like in terms of like big big, did you did, didn't you do like a Def Leppard or a Bon Jovi? Yeah, we did Def Leppard and Bon Jovi. Oh, together, uh, not together. No. Def Leppard tour was great, but it was a bit weird because it was in the round, and that was hilarious. In fact, that was hilarious actually because it started off in Dublin, and they did like three days pre-production in Dublin. And we, we obviously couldn't afford the radio packs that they they've got like 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 two grand a piece their packs, but we had to get them. We had to buy them because in order to use it, because you're running from one side of the stage to the other, and, and you know you need to communicate or you need to you know interact. Hold with the it audience. together somehow, yeah. Interact with the audience, but um, so we went to Tandy. <laughs> Remember Tandy the yeah. shop, the electrical shop, and we got like. We got um, four radio packs and transmitters and stuff like that for like, I think it was 200 quid or something like that. <laughs> and the day after, the far, after the first show, main gig, they've got, a, and then they started to get interference in their transmitters, right? They were getting cab calls and ambulances and stuff like that. And definitely were like, going on here because it's all American crew that they had as well and like hey guys where did, where did you get where did you get your transmitters radio packs and stuff oh Tandy just <laughs> where did they get them in Tandy and it's like these are two grand a piece these things and I'm like oh my god no we didn't pay that much for it was only 200 quid mate for us for all four of them but uh, it was hilarious but that was a really weird gig to do playing in the round is a strange one yeah, especially for the support cause, act. Because you're performing and you're like, well, you've spent enough time at this side. Should yeah. go back? Should go back? And you're thinking, right, I better go around and turn around. And, and it's like... It's, it's a weird one, isn't it? It's a weird it's one. Weird. I've seen Prince in the round. That was... I mean, don't get me wrong. I think it is a great... It's a great sort of... Um, if it works. Because I think you, I think the audience feel they're closer to the band. Yeah. If it's in the round as well. You know, and I think, no, it does, it does work. You know, especially in this day and age, I'm sure they've got better means of, you know, the Rather electronic stuff. 50 pound <laughs> yeah, radio sets. Oh, interfering with the headliners gear. I love it. They forgave you though. They were cool with it. Oh, no, no, totally. No. <laughs> they were totally fine. And then I think, the, you know, um, the drummer, the, I, was, uh, I forget the drummer's name, but I remember the, the riser that just kind of went up and went up. I mean, it was pure spinal tap at times. Even, you know, Joe Elliott would admit to that. But the, the um, it was up to the ceiling and it was a point, Dublin point. And the drum riser goes right away up to the ceiling and it doesn't come back down. And it's stuck up there. The hydraulics <laughs> are knackered or something, yeah. I don't know. And I just, I was like, oh my God. They're probably glad that this is the first night of the tour. And, oh my God. I think a lot of people got sacked after that show. You know, but it was hilarious. That was Get the drummer horrible. down. <laughs> it was spinal tap. It was total spinal tap. But great tour, though. Great guys. 
Uh, well, I've been given the sign, so we, we're going to need to wrap, but I guess we just should do a kind of crass segue and leap right forward. So you've got this triple header tour with yes. Dan Reed and FM coming uh-huh. up. Yeah. That, that and what about really, 2020? What's on the cards? Well, we're looking at um, bringing out a new album next year at some point. Um, we're still working on that just now. But we've got this new album coming out just now with the to mark the... 30th anniversary of taking on the world, so that's got like the sort of all the singles. Yeah, um, 30 singles. years is crazy, isn't it? Oh, no, don't start me. 10 <laughs> singles we've got from that, and then we've done, um, we've got 10 cover versions, some of them with obviously like Word Up, and it's in there as well. But we've done another few more, few, few more new ones, which sound will really you be cool. playing some covers at the shows? Other than word up, no, we can't. No, because we, we, we contractually obliged are you to just no, do no, the, we, we don't have enough time. Because I think well, it's Dan Reed, FM, and ourselves, and we're all playing an hour each. So are you rotating the bill? Are you each yeah, day? We, like, yeah, uh, yeah. There's ten. There's ten nights. I think we're all taking three. You know, well, we get four because of the balance. But um, but uh, yeah, no, it's. I'm sure it will be. It will be good fun. You know, but yeah, we're, we're playing and taking on the world in its entirety. Um, and obviously Dan Reed are doing the same with Slam and FM are doing the same with their album as well but yeah you get tough it out I think that yeah that's it that's their album that they're playing so we're all playing these three iconic albums from 30 years ago yeah great package Bill it's all bit, no it? listen I'm really looking forward to it playing these songs for the first time in a long time is going to be a bit well of- some of them are getting played for the first time ever in some cases no no, oh, so every no. song on the album has had a live outing at some point before. Yeah, yeah, Matt. Um, but like once... Some of them haven't been once. played for a, oh, for a long 30 time. years. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's good, good to know that, that we've actually... We've not started rehearsals really? yet, no. <laughs> I love it. No, we'll do It'll just a couple fun. of days. You're we'll a well-oiled well, we do six songs anyway off Taking On The World. Right, the, the, that's the, just the, part of the live show, kind of yeah. staples. Yeah, and then we'll do, you know, just four more songs, but we'll get there with it. Easy. No, definitely, Matt. We'll come back on again, mate, when the new Listen, record's out. We'll, we'll get into all the rest of it because no. there's loads of other stuff oh, I want to chat to you about. But Listen, thanks for coming on, mate. Cheers, Enjoyed Matt. it. Thanks very much, man. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.